Warren Buffett has returned over 20% per year for his shareholders since 1965. Along the way, he has taught millions of investors the art of value investing. Instead of just buying stocks blindly, value investors analyze company fundamentals and purchase them at a discount. Today's guest is Charlie Tien. He's a value investor and founder of Guru Focus. Guru Focus is used by private investors and billion-dollar fund managers to discover and analyze their investments. You can try it free for seven days at medicalmoney.com slash guru. Hey, this is Andrew and the Medical Money Podcast, where we share tips to help doctors earn, grow, and protect their money. Please hit subscribe and share the love with your colleagues. If you have a topic you'd like discussed or feedback to share, send an email to andrew at medicalmoney.com. Today, my guest is Charlie Tien. Charlie is author of the book, Invest Like a Guru, one of my favorite investing books. Heavily invested in high-flying technology stocks, he got absolutely pummeled in the dot-com crash of 2000. As he picked up the pieces of his broken portfolio and analyzed his errors, he discovered value investing. In 2004, he created GuruFocus.com, where he began tracking and sharing the portfolios of some of the world's greatest investors. Since then, he has moved to providing in-depth analysis of company financials and some amazing stock screeners. In today's interview, we will discuss value investing, Charlie's journey, his book, and how he identifies and invests only in good companies. This podcast is not financial advice, and all opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own. Please seek professional advice before making any financial or investment decision. Well, hello, Charlie. Thanks for taking the time out to be with us today. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you very much for having me. Well, thank you for coming on. I was uh, totally surprised that you agreed to do an interview with me because I've definitely put you very high on my guru pedestal. And Obviously, you're quite prominent in the uh, investing circles as well. And the Berkshire Hathaway meeting was on yesterday, and I was hoping to meet you at the uh, Guru Focus uh, conference two days ago, but you gave us a refund, and obviously, things didn't quite work out due to corona. Um, How many times have you attended the Berkshire meeting yourself? I think at least 12 times. I don't remember clearly, but at least 12. Why do you keep going back? First year, of course, I want to listen to what Warren Buffett has to see about the economy, about the stock market, about business, learn from him. And then later I found that I got to meet lots of people. So I go there, went there again and again to meet the people. Then the last five years, we have been hosting a Guru Focus Value Conference there ourselves. So we have to go there and host a meeting. But the, the conference was a very good place to meet our customers and meet the Lots of good investors there too. Excellent. Yeah, this was my first and I was super excited. I booked it uh, in January and, you know, paid the crazy price oh, for the hotel room okay. and everything, airlines, and uh, and then it got cancelled. But that's all right, maybe 2021. Good. And so the meeting was on yesterday. I've only listened to, I listened to the first two hours and I got the other like four hours to listen to at some point this week. What were your main takeaways from this year's meeting? I think Warren Buffett, uh, the difference from uh, the year, uh, the yesterday's meeting from the previous ones was that uh, in the pre- previous one, he would just talk maybe 10 minutes, then start a Q&A session. But yesterday, he spent well over an hour talking about yeah. himself, talking, talking himself and about the coronavirus mainly. And his point is to tell people that to be optimistic, we will go through this fine and American will be still very strong and don't bet against America. That was his point. But he spent 
over an hour on that. I was very surprised because this had never happened before. It was huge, wasn't it? And he even made a slideshow that was on there. I was watching it on my exercise yes. bike yes. while uh, he was he was going through. Yeah, what yes. normally he he said at the beginning was going to be twenty minutes, and that ended up being like an hour and a half. Yeah, and uh, he also said that uh, it was the first time he ever had uh, slides. That was true too. Yeah, yeah. And so, what did you take away from his?、Uh, I think other than the、uh, you know talk about Corona from the、uh, the questions and, and answers he gave. I think he thinks that it's it's very severe. It will affect impact lots of businesses,、uh, especially travel related industries and oil industries. That's what he mentioned, and that's why he sold the airline companies. I was kind of surprised. Uh, he, uh, from my calculation, he lost. Over sixty percent with airlines companies, and uh, but uh, he was decisive. He decided to get out. He thinks that in the next two years, at least two three years, the situation for airlines may get worse, and the habit of people have changed because of this coronavirus, and、uh, the airlines may have to find money to fund their debt to fund their operations at least. Twelve billion dollars was that's a number Warren Buffett mentioned, and、uh, it will be bad. Yeah, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens on Monday. But it's one of those things that I love about Buffett is that when he's wrong, he's happy to say I stuffed up and I lost money, and、yeah. I'm going to fix that and get out <laughs> before、yeah. you lose more. So today I'm looking forward to learning more about your investing journey, your investing strategy, and then also to get your advice to to up and coming investors as well. You describe yourself as a value investor. Can you please explain the philosophy behind value investing? The idea of value investing is actually very simple. It, it says that for every share of stock, there is a corresponding portion of the business behind it. For that part of business, there is an intrinsic value. So you want to pay the price which is below the intrinsic value, so that You're getting a bargain. So value investing basically say, says that、uh, you pay something for the price. The price is lower than the value. So that's value investing. Yeah. So getting getting a a bargain really isn't it? Right.、Like、a company that's that's likely to keep on doing well in the future. And so you hold a PhD in physics from Beijing University, and then you moved to the the US in 1998 to work in Texas University. Your specialization was in fiber optics and lasers. How and why did you first get involved in investing? That was actually very interesting. And when I came to the U.S. in 1998, it was crazy. It was a crazy time. It's the middle of the dot com expansion, dot com bubble, and the economy economy was expanding quickly, and technology sectors growing so quickly, and the fiber optics was. Having a brightest future, and they said that there will be a trillion dollar market for fiber optics, and everyone was buying stocks. Everyone was talking about stocks. Everyone, even students came here. International students came to U.S. They don't study. They they trade stocks. Everyone was around me were talking about stocks. So I thought, oh, maybe I should buy some too. So what do I buy? Of course, I buy fiber optics stocks because that was my expertise. I know the product. I know how the product works. I know the company. I even know the people who work for the company. So I thought, why don't I buy stocks? I bought fiber optics stocks, Corning, Uplink, and、uh, of course, 
that it didn't that didn't end very well. At that time in Australia, I was just finishing high school, and so we had this weird. I remember it being quite weird because in the US, it was going nuts with the dot dot com boom and, and technology sector, but then around the area in Asia was the Asian financial crisis as well. So we had this kind of seesaw um, thing in the news of really good but really bad as well at the same time. Um, and then in two thousand, there was obviously the crash. And what happened to you and your portfolio then? The fiber optic stocks are corning. I bought at forty dollars, and uh, it actually went up quickly to one hundred twenty. So I tripled my money, and initially I thought that oh, this is easy. Then the market crashed, and uh, I read, I rolled extra all the way down to maybe two dollars. I lost uh, more than ninety five percent on the money. That was crazy. Yeah. So what we've seen in the last uh, few months is nothing by comparison to that. How did your overall portfolio perform in, in that time? The overall lost more than ninety percent on that. On right. That. Okay, that's a a big kick in the guts. So then, yeah. what did you learn from that, and where did you go to, and what what did you do after that big drawdown? I thought that uh, oh, this is wrong. I realized that I uh, I realized the difference between technology and the business after that. I thought, oh yes, I know the technology. I don't really know the business. I thought, uh, I realized that investing needs to be learned. I have to learn, learn it. So I thought, why don't I learn? Who should I learn from? Of course, I want to learn from the best investors. So I read, start to read. The first book I read was Peter Lynch's Beating the Street, and that was very inspiring. Although at that time I didn't even know what a P ratio is, but、uh, I gradually gradually learn from Peter Lynch's book. I read Warren Buffett, and、uh, I read all the shareholder letters of the Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett wrote that time that was maybe forty some years of shareholder letters, and after that, I I really realized that oh, investing is actually there's no trick in it. It's actually knowledge. It's knowledge and efforts. You have to learn a lot. Get lots of knowledge in the field, and then you work hard on it. There's no trick. Did you read much?、Uh, did you read? Go back and read Ben Graham's、uh, books as well. Yeah, of course. Then I read Intelligent Investors and、uh, Security Analysis. While I was reading Intelligent Investor, it was actually very, very funny. I remember I was traveling on an airplane. I was reading Intelligent Investor. And my feeling was that when he was describing the bubble before the Great Depression, my feeling was that he was describing the dot com bubble I experienced. It, it was almost exactly the same. The feeling. <laughs> yeah, reading it now would be yeah, it would be like the the bull run that we've had most recently as well. Yeah, and so、um, Buffett, what what are the things that you like most about Buffett that you take away from him? Because he's obviously a, a major guru in in many value investors' eyes. Yeah, of course. I read all his shareholder letters. Then, from his shareholder letters, I learned about I learned a lot about businesses, different type of businesses. I try. Then I got to understand businesses and how different business works, how different economic、uh, parts will drive the business, such as inflation and、uh, deflation. He discussed a lot about that: interest rates and competition. Things like that, but the all I learned, if I summarize what I learned from him into one sentence, one sentence, it will be 
buying good companies at fair prices. And he said that I'd rather to buy a good company at fair prices than to buy fair company at、uh, good prices. I think that's the、uh, one sentence if I want to summarize what I learned. So buy good、yeah. companies at fair prices is the best way to go. Yeah, Peter Lynch is the other one that that you note as being the pivotal、uh, knowledge base for you. What are the things that you take away from his readings? Peter Lynch inspired me so much on the balance sheet and on the profitability of businesses. And、uh, I remember very clearly he said that、uh, a company that does not have debt cannot go bankrupt. That actually sh-、uh, impacted me. That kind of actually when I read that sentence, I thought about that. I, I was shocked by that sentence. Isn't that obvious? A company that does not have debt cannot go bankrupt. It's very obvious, but、uh, people forget about it when、yes. when they invest. And、uh, I use that immediately and、uh, to do research. At in my in my in the plaza behind my house, there were two stores. One was Starbucks, another the other was Blockbuster, at the time. And、uh, of course, everyone knows about Starbucks. Blockbuster. I'm not sure if you know. It's a DVD and the CD、uh, rental company. Yeah, that's and, right. Before Netflix. <laughs> right before Netflix, and I was looking at their balance sheet. I remember Peter Nis said that、uh, companies that does not have debt cannot go bankrupt. I noticed that Starbucks didn't have much debt, and、uh, Netflix and、uh, Blockbuster had lots of debt and growing debt. So I said, "Oh, of course, I want to invest in Starbucks, not、uh, Netflix." So I bought Starbucks stocks, and that was the first time I really made money with stocks. And I didn't know that、uh, Blockbuster would go bankrupt one day,、uh, killed by Netflix. I didn't realize that at all. I just tr- was trying to avoid the debt, and it saved me actually. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And so there, you're one of my gurus, and obviously Lynch and Buffett are, are your gurus, some of your gurus. Have you ever had a chance to meet them or speak to them? I, I never met、uh, actually them directly. I met、um, uh, other great investors like、uh, Don Yakman, John Mary Avyard, and Chuck Acker. They are just they are as good as Peter Lynch, are also very great investors. They are in the same league, I would say. Oh, very good. I'm going to get a few of their books and add them to my list. So, can you tell me how Guru Focus began and what did you hope to achieve when you started Guru Focus? I was reading a lot about the not just Warren Buffett and Peter Lynch. I was reading all the shareholder letters of lots of value investors in early 2000s, reading their books, reading, watching interviews, and、uh, I was looking at their. Portfolios as well. I was thinking that、uh, if I want to invest in stocks, I want to look at what they own. In this way,、uh, if I st-、uh, pick stocks from their portfolio, the chance of making mistakes will be smaller. And、uh, I was doing that offline, but one day I thought, why don't I put this online? So it's、uh, it was end of two thousand four. I In in less than two days, I had GuruFox online. Wow, <laughs> From, very good. Yeah, and of course, initially it was not very well designed, but、uh, it's I I start to add information, add pages to it. It has been more than fifteen years now. Yeah, and so besides taking the、uh, the new you know the holdings of these gurus that you were following, what else did it have back then in two thousand and four? Yeah, initially we didn't have company data. 
Initially, it was mainly portfolio data and their shareholder letters, uh, summary of their shareholder letters, and link to them. And I also wrote lots of articles back then. I wrote lots of what I learned, what I uh, was learning back then, and it was mainly those contents. We didn't add uh, the fundamental data until 2007. That fundamental data is is amazing when you think that uh, you know for the price that you charge compared to a Bloomberg terminal feed, which um, is about twenty five thousand US a year, yeah. I think, <laughs> and uh, doesn't give you probably a lot of data that you have as well, which is useful for the uh, the personal investor. Um, so, how has Guru Focus evolved over time, and who subscribes to your service? We have over the years we have more than thirty thousand. Institutions, investment institutions, universities, individuals subscriber subscribed, and um, um, I think I estimate about thirty percent are investment institutions and uh, universities. The rest are individual investors. I've been a member for a few months now, and it absolutely blows my mind. I don't think I've even touched the surface, really, of how much data is in there. And the screening tools and everything are just mind-blowing, the depth that it goes into. <laughs> Thank uh, you. And then in, yeah, then in 2016, you published Invest Like a Guru, which is one of my favorite investing books, just because it consolidates so much information from so many other gurus into, into one book in a nice way that I can follow it. Thank you. I actually finished reading it just uh, a couple of days ago for the third time in preparation for this interview. <laughs> what was your purpose behind writing the book? The main, the primary purpose, the initial purpose of writing that book was I want to share what I learned with my children. I have three children, and uh, I feel that over the years I learned so much. I, I don't want it kind of wasted. So I want to teach them. I thought that the best way is probably write a book and write it in English because they don't read much Chinese. My Chinese is actually better than my English. So, but I decided to write it in English. So I wrote it. And of course, the book was quite well received by the investing community, by my subscribers. And I, I really I would want to write it in a simple way so that the readers don't have to have lots of finance knowledge, but after reading the book, they can stay in the right investing framework. That's a key, to stay in the right investing framework. Once, in this, once you are in the right framework, then you can gradually learn and uh, to build up your knowledge. How old are your children now? My older one, oldest one is 24, the second one is 20, the third one is 12. And they all read my book, sort of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. What I really love about the book is that you make it, you just in the, if anybody who invests in stocks or shares reads the first sort of three to five chapters, it will just change the way they think about investing. It's not just looking at share price anymore. But right. then, you know, if, for the people who really are ready to jump the fence to be true investors, you then go deep into the, uh, the ratios and the numbers, uh, which is probably a uh, element of your physics. PhD coming out in the, in the true analysis in the second half of the book. But I think anybody just reading the first five chapters will totally uh, change the way they approach investing in stocks. And now I'd like to move across and try to understand your personal investing strategy, because it's a very simple and straightforward approach to finding and analyzing quality companies. In the first few chapters of Invest Like a Guru, you explained deep value and value investing. You touched on it just a little bit in a few minutes ago, but can you explain the challenges between deep value and value? The deep value investing, it, it can work 
pretty well when there are lots of bargains and uh, you buy a basket of weight. But the challenge is when the market is high, like it, it has been over the last few years, and it's very hard to find those kind of bargains. And even, even if you find one, you may well get into a value trap. You always think that it's cheap, but the quality is poor and the value of the business will decline over time, and time is not on your side. Time is not on your side. That's the biggest problem with deep value investing. You're buying something cheap, no one wants, and poor quality. And uh, you have to have a higher turn, turnovers so that you don't get stuck in it. But lots of time you may get stuck in it. And I use the example of Sears, uh, which has um, hurt so much of some of the best investors like Bruce Berkowitz and Eddie Lambert. That's a big problem with uh, deep value investing. And now in, if the Warren Buffett style of invest, value investing, which is more investing high quality companies at reasonable prices, uh, in this way, time will be on your side. So the value of the business will grow over time instead of decline. It will grow in, over time. So when the value grows, the quality is good, and life is much easier in this way. Yep, and the portfolio moves in the upwards direction with greater yeah. certainty. The what I, I think what I took out from that first few chapters is the way you divided deep value, which is the um, the cigar butt style of uh, Benjamin Graham. Then you move on to the value investing side, which is kind of Buffett, fair, um, you know, amazing. Uh, businesses at fair prices, but then you go into the valuable companies, and and really that's about having quality across. You know, the the difference across those three things is that you're going for the highest quality companies. And so my favorite part of the book is literally on the final page, uh, where you describe your whole investment philosophy in just five dot points. Really, in summary, they were well, number one: avoid losing money on poor companies. Two: invest in good companies that are profitable with good margins, growth, and return on investor capital. Three pay a reasonable price, four, beware of value traps, and five, don't forget cycles. I just want to dig in a little bit more into these. You recommend investors should only invest in good or high quality companies. Can you please explain your rules for identifying whether a company is a good company? And can you share some examples from your own investing to illustrate this? One good com- the one indication of good company is really the profitability. The company can make money all the time. Not only in good time, but also in bad time. It can go through economic cycles, always making money. And that will, if a company can do that, it will make the investing much safer over a long time. One company in my uh, portfolio, I have been holding it for a long time, is Church and White, CHD, the symbol is CHD. And it's a company which, making, which makes very traditional products like toothpaste and uh, baking soda, some tools, those kind of product. But it, the company can always be profitable and can grow also, maintain its profit, profitability for many, many years. And the stock has been very rewarding. The stock has been doing something like around less, a little bit less than 20% over a long time, 20% a year over a long time. And even in market declines like in 2007, 2008, and 2011, and the recent coronavirus market crash, it didn't go down very much. It's, a, it's one of my most favorite companies. 
And so that's really the uh, earnings, earnings, earnings that you talk about in some of your uh, your interviews right. previously. Can you talk about so profit margins and return on investor capital and how right. you approach those? Yeah, the profit margin is so important, and especially if the margin is expanding. Church and divide, it's the margin is not only high; it's around uh, around twenty percent operating margins, but it's also expanding its profit margins, and that's very powerful. The expansion of the profit margin means that the company is very competitive, and the, when there is competition. Uh, very, very obvious indication is that uh, the margin will usually decline. But uh, if the company can maintain its margin, can still grow, and uh, it's usually a good investment. Of course, it also has a good, pretty good return on invested capital, more than 15%, something like that. And uh, so that's why it can keep growing, keep, 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 keep rewarding investors. What's your minimum requirement uh, for profit margins and return on capital when you're assessing a company? I usually require the operating margin more than 10%. Of course, it, some good companies like Costco, it, the profit margin is actually very low. It's less than 2%. But uh, to be safe, I usually don't like to invest in, in low margin companies. I require at least 10% for operating margins and the return on invest capital around 15% over a long time. Uh, that's my requirement. And how about growth? How do you analyze the company's growth over time? The growth also, I look at the long-term growth. And uh, because of my requirement, I, re- I rarely invest in cyclical companies. So the growth is usually steady. Of course, it has some up and downs, It has, but on average, it's steady. In the US, you cannot find too many very high growth companies in non-technology sector. So I, I look at the revenue growth, I require at least 5%. And the profit can grow faster than the, mar- than the revenue if the margin is expanding. That's the case with Church and Dwight too. I usually look at the earn- earning expansion, probably maybe 7% a year. Uh, that's the numbers I have. Okay, so 7% on earnings. Do you look at free cash flow? Uh, much in that analysis on growth as well? The good thing with high-quality companies is that uh, the cash flow, flow is usually good. The balance sheet is always is also good, usually. And although I didn't mention, I, I mentioned balance sheet before, no debt, companies should now have debt. But for high-quality companies, usually you don't need to worry too much about the balance sheet because you usually have good balance sheet. And uh, the pro- the free cash flow is also usually consistent with the earnings, so you don't need to worry too much about it too. You also mentioned in your book the capital expenditure uh, for businesses, which I hadn't really read much on previously as a percentage of um, you know profits or free cash flow. How do how do you approach the um, capex of a company? I usually prefer a company that doesn't require lots of capex. <laughs> it's like capital light companies. Yesterday, Warren Buffett discussed a lot about capital light. Berkshire is investing a lot into capital heavy companies such as railroad and uh, airlines because Berkshire has too much money. He has no choices. But for us small investors, we have lots of choices. So I usually require investing in companies that has very low cap- capital requirement. 
Listen to the second part of my interview with Charlie in episode 16b. Remember, you can trial Guru Focus free for seven days by visiting medicalmoney.com slash guru. If you're interested in learning how to optimize your finances, please subscribe to this podcast. Also, head over to my blog, medicalmoney.com and subscribe to stay updated. If you know a colleague who might also find this information useful, please share this with them. I'd love to get your feedback, so send questions, comments, and recommendations to me at andrew at medicalmoney.com. See you in the next episode.